ja. Ja, ja, let's do this. Das ist der grossest Podcast. Word up to all our listeners and viewers worldwide and welcome to another delicious entree of cerebral nutrition. Here to serve you some food for thought is myself, Christopher Driver, and with me once again is the maitre d' du jour, Monsieur Jordan Roy. Today, Bonjour. Jordan's going to take us through some of the commonplace misconceptions many of us carry from lifetime of exposure to entertainment and media influence. The effects of sensationalized everything will necessarily take some toll on the psyche. So today we'll examine some of the ways that uh, our thought patterns are affecting our belief structures and how those may have been influenced by the media we consume on a regular basis. So with that, I'll let Jordan take the reins and see where he's got uh, to start us off with. Um, yeah, so it's you actually kind of mentioned something there that I thought that I'm going to have to tack on another 15 minutes to the end of this to talk about, but mostly the impetus to this um, to this episode was is going to be essentially like life's not like the movies. Um, if you've been watching for a while, you know that I am uh, one of my hobbies is shooting. So a lot of what happens when I'm at the range is completely different than anything you'll see at the uh, in the movies. You know, have you ever fired a two guns whilst flying through the air kind of thing? That just doesn't happen. And uh, expecting to hit anything is um, kind of ridiculous. Um, and I get a lot of this from my students who really there's no reason why they should know anything about this. There, a lot of them are young. Who, well, why didn't they just shoot them? Well, this is their peasants. They have never held a rifle before or a musket before, so it's a lot harder to use. It kicks you in the sh shoulder quite hard. And so there's a lot of this reality that we don't understand, a little minutiae um, about reality that we just miss because we've seen it in a movie once. But this doesn't, it's not just about guns. We're not, today's not about guns or anything related to that, really. It's about our perception of what we expect reality to be like. Um, like in the conflict episode where I talked about, uh, where we talked about um, with our special guest, um, go check it out. He was a great guest. Uh, but he was talking that people have conflicts in their lives because they don't have um, their conception of reality is it doesn't align with the way reality actually is. So this happened in the workplace where they'll say something like, oh, why doesn't my boss, you know, think of me, blah, 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 blah. And they have expectations for themselves, which don't align to reality. I often will call this in our, in our podcast, the logos, where, um, you know, this is essentially what I mean when I say, you know, follow the logos or, uh, uh follow the Tao. Um, which I keep bringing up over and over again. You guys are probably sick of it. You, you guys, if I have any following, this is the memes you're going to be making. But it also comes up in um, like this disconnect from reality happens uh, in two others that I can see in two other genres that I can see in that. Um, that is those the fields of medicine and law, especially medicine. We have medicine shows. Uh, we also have cop shows and law and order and stuff like that, where we have this expectation of what the law is. 
And then we have the reality of what the law is. The law is extremely boring. You can't really make, um, if you've seen anyone dissect the law, there's a couple uh, good YouTube channels about um, Canadian law, especially uh, one of which I've been watching. And it's not interesting. It, it, well, it's not, it's interesting, but it's not, um, it's not entertaining stuff. It's kind of boring, but it's in, it's interesting the way that I now understand the law a bit better. Medicine, on the other hand, is not like in in the movies. Again, um, you get stuff like you know in the movies where they're all running around with their heads cut off, going, well, "There's somebody with a broken leg. Oh no, what are we gonna do?" And it's just like patient three's got a broken leg, and they have to remain calm because if they don't remain calm, well, the patient starts going and then if they don't um it can worsen their condition right it can worsen their condition plus the nurses and the doctors could get flustered if they raise their own heart rate too much if they you know you start hyperventilating you can make yourself get put yourself in a panic state without actually being in any form of panic um and so medicine is one of these places where the act of medicine is a lot different from the portrayal of medicine. Another one that's uh, a lot more um, uh, like this is, uh, uh, you know, you see um, airplane movies where they, you know, people are like, oh no, we're going to hit the ground. Oh no, we're going to crash, blah, blah, blah. But pilots especially are trained. Um, you can see this when you read the books uh, about Tom Wolfe's um, uh, the right stuff where he talks about um, pilots of the space program and what they were looking for and how, you know, Chuck Yeager's voice became the voice of all airline pilots because he had this calm, cool, collected voice. Uh, and it was so calm. Just to let you know that we have lost two wings and are flying directly at the ground. Please, you know, this calm voice because no matter what is happening you have to remain calm because you know there you call down to a ground crew you are calm you say exactly what's happening the ground crew's like okay do this and you might get out of it and it's the if they panic the message isn't going to get across nothing's going to happen so the movie and this is kind of where i'm coming at here the overriding thing uh, theme here is that the medium is the message again with marshall McLuhan. so I guess the thesis of this whole thing that I'm going to, we're going to talk about today is that when you are going, when you're trying to make something for entertainment, you rely on certain things, you rely on certain um, actions, you rely on, um, you know, things to build the tension, to create a mood, to create a, to create an atmosphere that don't, exist in the same way that they would in reality and it's for like dramatic effect right they're not doing anything sinister trying to mislead people or anything like that it's just for the sake of entertainment to make the the movie more enjoyable no and well maybe they are trying to mislead someone so that in like five minutes they can be like oh you thought i meant this which is perfectly okay and that's and i'm not arguing that we should have completely realistic movies right hell no i want like over the top i want sometimes i want over the top it's like why were there only six rounds in that guy's uh revolver he should just be because it's not that kind of movie (laughs) and you know if it is that kind of movie then i'm gonna want like if i'm watching band of brothers and the guy starts shooting 10 rounds out of his m1 garand I'm going to be like, oh, come on. It's not, come on. He's got a, the pings out and you got to reload. So I want 
realism from something like that. But if it's a cartoon or if it's like Star Trek or something. Or shoot them up. Shoot them up. Yeah. That then, was a fantastic over-the-top movie. Like Die Hard and stuff like that. I bring shoot them up, up every once in a while because it was absolutely the epitome of um, WTF. <laughs> <laughs> But it's fun. It's so much fun to watch stuff like that because it's just crazy and yeah. silly. Like you wouldn't throw headphones on a baby listening to metal. That's bad for the baby's early Metal hearing. is bad for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> just oh, we should, have, we should oh. have my brother-in-law on to talk about metal. Anyway, um, but what we <clears throat> what we get is that when we watched and a lot of people will we, we do watch a lot of tv like even i watch a lot of tv um even you even me no i'm not one of those You're purists to say don't well yeah <laughs> technically <laughs> but i'm not one of those purists to say that we shouldn't even watch either and this is not the this is not the solution to this because media again I'm not saying that like to make sure that we don't um get and this is uh the, those like all or nothing people to get make sure that we don't have this disconnect of uh i completely didn't finish the thesis of my point <laughs> so get back no no that was me okay. so the medium is the message we have this disconnect and so the thing that we want to realize is that when we have this disconnect and we keep seeing this reality we 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 have expectations of reality that don't match up with what we uh what we've been shown that they are we're educating ourselves a lot of times with the with these things and we have to realize that there's a difference between the the world and the other now you brought up in the intro that we're kind of how do we say this uh programming ourselves with this to some extent and we have to realize that that's happening um facebook does this and they're aware of the fact that they're doing this um the one of the facebook founders a couple years ago i think it was like four or five years ago uh came up and had a interview where he's like don't go on facebook this is what it's doing to your brain and this was pretty he left was, and started some like encrypted messaging app thing yeah. too. like he, he was really upset with the way facebook went about it yeah and um i think i even shared it on my facebook <laughs> ironically but i thought it was really interesting and i'm not one if you go on my facebook and you can go on if you want i guess a lot of you are on my facebook if you're seeing this you got it from my facebook is a 30 percent chance um but i don't really put my face on there very often my my my, my main face picture has always been either like a face or a cartoon or uh right now it's a maple leaf i've never used really posted a picture of myself i don't have my um i don't have my proper birth date on there i don't have my ed uh relationship status education workplace anything all my work's on linkedin though because well why not and so what happens what's happening with facebook essentially is we are um you're showing other people's reality. So you're learning about other people and the way other people are by having them um, show you what they want you to see. And this is the same thing that's happening with television or movies or something. They're showing you what they want you to see. And this ends up being a bit of a problem because then people act. Now, the problem isn't that. That's That's just the function. The problem... The actual problem is how people 
take those expectations and act with reg- uh, regard to reality on those expectations. So it's a complicated way of saying they think the world should work like it does in a movie. And to some extent, this is like people, this shouldn't happen. No, children don't get into car crashes. It's like, well, yes, they do. Um, because, you know, in the movies, there a lot of, or television, they're really hesitant to hurt children or show children or in video games. You, a lot of times there just aren't children because they don't want you going around shooting children. Uh, <laughs> I don't contone any form of violence against children. Um, and so what happens is you, you, you can't imagine this. Now, if you're a first responder, you're going to see this, but if you don't understand the way first responders actually work, you might even advocate that saying like, well, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of a, uh, an example at this point. But the problem is, is that when we, we put this up, we expect medicine and I've heard people do this where, uh, you know, law in a law court, they need to be yelling at each other or they need to be, um, uh, you know, uh, a few good menning where, you know, you can't handle the truth. Whereas in reality, law is just, you know, one guy cites precedent, another guy cites precedent. The judge, you know, asks a question, another guy cites precedent. Somebody asks the defendant some, and then they cross-examine the defendant. And it's just like this boring procedural nonsense. And you can actually go to the courts like even the small courts and see, and it's, it's, it's not interesting because it's their job. They're just sitting there doing their job. And sometimes it'll get a bit dramatic, but not usually. Usually you get in contempt of court if you start disrupting. Yeah, or you start, you know, acting like it's law and order. <sighs> Your honor, I don't believe, or you like go, you know, objection. No, you go, you know, objection. You, know, you put up your hand politely and you say it. So <laughs> what happens is if you go there and you, you're understanding, you, a lot of people think, you know, these people in the court are, uh, what do you call it? You know, they're, they're not trying hard. They're not doing it. This is where my taxpayer money goes or whatever. And so they'll think that there's something's wrong with the law. Uh, court. But in reality, you don't know anything about what's going on there. It's so complicated. And those like, there's a reason that those people have like 10 years of school just to be in that courtroom doing, you know, having a very polite argument. Um, so this generally, it's a very like scientific approach that they're taking. Like generally, they're trying to approach a case as impartially as possible to prove that it's not their emotional state that's creating their opinion. It's based on the reality of material fact. So it actually serves against their their needs if they start getting right. animated. <laughs> and well, the law is so bloody literal it's mm-hmm. it, it's oftentimes is what people are frustrated with it's just it's when I mean, you're reading the law like there's a reason like they're using all that language it's, it's not because they're trying to confuse you this is one of those places where it's not trying to confuse you they're being as succinct as possible every word there is put there for a very specific reason every single word it's not like you know a bank statement where you know you know, it's just like, look, at blah, 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 and they show you a bunch of numbers and they throw a bunch of stuff in your face and they're trying to confuse you or um, it's so literal. Even like the placement of commas, like if you yeah. put a comma oh, yeah. before or after something, somebody could take that and interpret a textual literalism based on the pause in the sentence. Yeah. It, it's that specific. 
Well, you put the comma here, so it actually means this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's not what I meant to say. Well, then why didn't you say that? Ah. <laughs> so it's this it's this procedural uh, burden that we expect, but like me, you do have to understand what's going on now. This also comes up in relationships too, where, you know, you see a romantic comedy. A lot of people are like, why can't my life, my relationship be like in the movie? Well, because you're not living in a movie. And this is what it comes down to is that we are not in a movie. We're in real life. You need to follow reality to some extent and understand that things are the way they are. Again, going back to our trust episode, you have to trust that the law people and the medicine people at least know their job. And uh, if they do it wrong, then you can call them out on it. To some extent, I guess what I'm saying here, to finish my introduction, is that um, media is definitely giving us uh, false expectations and we're acting on them a lot of times in the political and the economic and the personal in the in this weird in all these spheres of our lives um in the kitchen <laughs> even um the kitchen's probably a very blatant uh example of this you know you go watch them cooking shows and they just go oh look that's all you have to do to the do the onions and they don't cry or anything or something it's like how do they not you know their it's eyes a funny start- thing they always say how quick things are and it's like yeah if you chop everything up ahead of time and have everything in pre-portioned dishes and use three times as much uh dishes as you actually needed or have it home then yeah it's very quick <laughs> if you had a slave super well, fast uh do it yourself shows are the worst for this so all you need to do is this and then it's just like all you need to do is this and have twenty thousand dollars worth of tools in your shed <laughs> it's like and i look and it's like oh i could build a i could build a stand for my wife and i was thinking of building like this little stand for something she has she could you know display her um one of her awards and I was thinking about it and I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh, I could do this. I could do this. I need some felt. I need some this and I need a jigsaw. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I need a new saw to actually do that one thing when that's, that's an investment. Well, now I'm definitely a guy. So this is how guys work. You, you think you need something and then all of a sudden I bought a tool. <laughs> I know I can make a thing. I usually just rent now. Yeah. Go to Home Depot and rent a big jackhammer or something like that. You never have to like store it or maintain it or oil it or anything. Yeah. Rent a jackhammer? Oh yeah. You can rent anything. Man, we were, our shenanigans in school were so lame. We should have known we could rent jackhammers. (laughs) It's a good thing we were dumb back then. Well, we we were impressed by firecrackers. Like nothing else mattered. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man, that was fun times. Anyway, okay, yeah. Um, youthful shenanigans are definitely exactly the way they are in the movies. <laughs> Maybe understatement. Um, and we don't condone them, but it's a rite of passage. I think everybody goes through it at some point to some degree. Yeah, you kind of need to learn your boundaries and what's good and get it out of your system. How to be civil. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the only rule there, I guess, is don't get caught. <laughs> If you get caught, you're stupid. If you don't get caught, you had fun. <laughs> anyway, so going back to this, um, now getting away from going back to my digression there, I guess, was uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be watching movies or we shouldn't be watching TV or we shouldn't be playing video games. In fact, I'm saying we definitely should be doing all these things in addition to reading books and you know all this. I'm not a purist. Um, stories are stories. And I've said this before, and a lot of people have said this, humans are storytellers. And we need to be engaging with our stories because this is the best way we learn. Um, And we have to understand that 
watching and reading and engaging with the media that and the medium in the mediums the media oh man this is a <laughs> weird part okay media medium and media plural are uh really strange words uh, i had a lot of problems with these in my thesis but engaging with these in our life is how it's almost how we're constructed you know we have we sit around telling stories each other's stories you know in the campfire you know ten thousand years ago and it's just you know you get this proto story of achilles or hector or um or ulysses or uh you know some old emperor or buddha or something and they're all sitting around the campfire telling a story and everyone's just like yeah we should be like that and, you know the stories of heroes see see two episodes ago it's also like the learning by extension right rather yes. than having to live out the failings and faults and accidents of other characters um mm -hmm. one of our innate human abilities is to learn through proxy by somebody else's actions we can learn and I think movies are really good for that because like timelines are sped up. So you can learn a life lesson in two hours instead of it taking 10 years like it does for the character in the movie. Yeah. And well, Star Trek was really good for this. It's just the moral story of the week. And, um, and it's kind of like, don't be racist. Let people figure stuff out on their own. Don't figure it out for them. That's uh, the prime directive, I guess. Um, but there's movies easy. like Boyhood that carry a character through their entire lives. And like that kind of thing is just phenomenal yeah. to me. You can um, only do that in a movie. You couldn't yeah. do that. I'm struggling to think of examples at the moment. Oh, but, yeah. Well, there, uh, there's a bunch like um, Scent of a Woman was good for that. Like uh, I've never seen that one. Oh, really? What's that one about? Uh, it's Al Pacino. He's a blind guy. Kids going to college and he doesn't want to rat out the other kids, even though he doesn't like them. Anyway, oh. it's a really good movie. Well, yeah. And this there's there's the moral dilemma. It's something you don't have to face in your own personal life, but you can still extrapolate from the movie and be benefit from it psychologically. And so like learning through stories is important in that sense, but it's also important, like you said, to be aware that they are just stories and not everything in them is literally accurate to the world. You have to sort of pick and choose what you're going to take out. Right. And I keep thinking of something like, um, I remember watching something like The Wire and that was a very good portrayal of life in various forms. Um, the school uh, system, the political system. Just being on the street, uh, the, what it was like to actually be a cop, what it was like to actually be a gangster, what it, what it was actually like to be, you know, a kid growing up in this these neighborhoods. And like the stories were really good. Mm -hmm. And it was almost that, that um, representation of it. And what it allowed me, a white kid from Canada, <laughs> to uh, see was it got me into the head of the people who I'd probably rarely ever uh associate or even you know meet I'm from canada i'm not going to meet baltimore gangsters <laughs> but it, a completely and utterly different context i can see in a lot of these shows and movies um you know california uh you know latino culture in uh stand and deliver or something like that you know these kids going to school i was able to get a very brief or uh you know barest sense of what it was like for them so i could you know understand that you know there is a different culture there so movies do this but the thing is is that if i treat stand and deliver like it's a textbook on latino culture <laughs> i'm gonna get beat up and you <laughs> probably least. gonna act more racist than you do <laughs> yeah exactly so i need to realize that this is a representation and so 
the difference between a representation and reality, uh, well, we could go into this. Oh, it's worth going into. Is that a representation, I guess, takes the barest, the things it needs to go. So the, the, the point of these stories isn't the depiction uh, explicitly, um, unless it's, again, it's something like Band of Brothers where they're trying to depict, show you what happened. This is war. It sucks. Like these people did it and were, and somebody needed to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and they did it well and they did it to the best of their abilities and they should be lauded for it. Don't send more kids out to do that. <laughs> so, but I get the bare sense of it. So a lot of times with a lot of these movies, uh, about inner city youth, about lawyers, you get the representation. And when it's a, when it's a representation, the, the thing that's important is the moral of the story. So the moral, okay, let's say the moral story, don't be kind, but like the themes and the motifs and the, and the, and the thing that they're trying to show you is more important than the accuracy of the story. So it's hard for these kids on the streets, but a good teacher can help them uh, overcome uh, the stupidities of, or the anti-intellectualism of certain parts of um, lower class society. Um, essentially, a druggy mom or something. I can't remember what the story was essentially, but that's a good story. It's like, oh, I didn't even know they had to deal with that. So I can, through the representation, if I'm looking at it logically, I can see that people are dealing with that stuff. But then are they actually dealing with that? And then the reality is it definitely relates to the reality, but the reality is something that you need to dive into a little differently. Reality you need to dive in to via primary source material, essentially going there and seeing for yourself. Now, if you're white, you can't just walk into Compton and see what's what. You can try, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I probably wouldn't. Um, I know some least... people who have, but it's just, it's not a safe way of learning. That's all. No. And no, <laughs> no. Uh, although anything safe is probably not worth doing. Um, but that's just me. And so you have to have a, either if you don't know the reality of it because you've never seen it or heard of it before, you can't take the representation as literal. And if you do know the reality, it enhances the representation and makes it more colorful. It makes it more vivid. You understand it. Unless the representation is a bad representation, in which case, whatever, who cares? You get a lot of this nowadays where you have like literally just bad stories and it just discord in the head and you just like, what the heck is going on? Sorry. Man, Chris has got so many friends. He's got so many friends. I don't know how he does a podcast. He's just got I don't have lady. a landline. Let's just put that simple and clear. <laughs> no, he's got a conga line of friends and like very attractive women coming. It's a fax it. machine. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what you're getting at too is the imagery helps us remember things too. So even if we heard it in a book or from firsthand from a friend or something like that, having an image from a movie to sort of have your brain attached to a memory makes it a lot easier to process and recall down the road. So even if the story itself is benign and the writing is complete crap, just seeing an area that you're reading about having that background knowledge of like what California looks like and then mm -hmm. reading about something that happened in California, like the, uh, the riots or the fires or anything like that. Yeah. The earthquake. Um, it's just makes a lot more sense, uh, as an educational tool, even if not taken literally as, as a production of itself. Yeah. So something like, um, what was that movie? Um, the NWA movie. Straight uh, out of Compton. Yeah. That one. I actually saw that one. Like I've got a, part in my hair. I'm not exactly one that you'd think would watch that movie. So 
Do I have a part? Would you call this a part? Anyway, it's, I watched and I was like, oh, that's what was going on in the 90s uh, with on this particular scene in this particular, that's not gangster culture. That was what was happening to these half dozen to a dozen uh, artists. Um, they're artists. Um, I don't care if you don't think it's art, it's art. It's just, you may not what you be what you like. Um, it's still better than postmodern paintings. Um, but these guys, there's the movies showing these guys and you have to realize, and this is kind of what I'm going to get at next is that they're showing them in the context of what was happening, but they're also showing you what they want you to see. Now, this is the difference between the representation and reality. They're representing it. And it honestly wasn't a bad representation. One of my friends pointed out in the after credit scene where they're showing like actual footage of the, like the pool party and stuff that like the women weren't actually that attractive all the time, all the groupies and stuff, you know, they were, they were a little um, rougher around the edges than the depiction had it. But, you know, if you're watching a movie about, you know, um, rappers, then you're probably, chances are you're probably going to be wanting to see some eye candy like that. And you're not going to want to see that reality and having a bit of artistic license in that doesn't really matter, but it does make them look better. And you have to realize that that's what's happening. And so like having bodybuilder lawyers, like it looks so fake to see a courtroom full of like super buff chiseled jaws and stuff. You go to a real court, it's just a whole bunch of sloppy bald white guys. (laughs) Yeah. Or just like, it's a well, I keep thinking like, um, Oh yeah. I actually don't want to get into that. That's uh but like you get, you know, just soccer moms in, uh, in a wig because that's the lawyer costume in Canada. And, uh, it's just people. And this is what we lose a lot of time with when we disregard the reality and the representation is that a lot of what's happening in those movies, these, these now we go back to our heroes episode. I guess this is going to become an extension of that is that we have these people that are acting and they're just people. They're just people doing something extraordinary or doing something interesting or doing something with their skill or doing something. But in the end of the day, they're just people. And when you say you can't do that again, you are not realizing they're just people. I guess the disconnect is, is that you place yourself aside from it and you realize that you're not the reality of your own representation. Okay. That doesn't make much sense, but let me unpack it. You have your own story of yourself in your head, right? We all do. And then we have the reality of it. So this is the, um, I guess what the, uh, the, the postmodernists would call the subjective, um, interpretation and then the objective reality, which who, I don't care if you think it doesn't exist. This is how things are. And we have this in our own life. We tell ourselves a story of our life because we are only living in one moment at a time. Now we can review a movie, but we can't review our life. And when you compare this story to one that happens in a movie, a lot of the time what happens is you get, and this is the same thing that you see people happening on Facebook, um, a la the last chapter of Coddling the American Mind. Keep bringing that up, but it's just keeps coming up. Uh, where, you know, on Facebook, you have this representation that doesn't align with reality. And then when that doesn't happen, you get, um, you get depressed. This is what happens when you don't follow the Tao. You have a disconnect and you, you fall off and you become bitter. You become depressed. You become angry. Um, 
because you're not aligning with reality. But when you have a representation from overabundant and irresponsible consumption of media, I think is a better way to put it, you get a, you find yourself wanting, I, why am I not an action star? Why don't I look like that? Um, why don't, why can't I be piloting a spaceship? Okay, I'd love to be piloting a spaceship. That'd be awesome. But I have to realize that that's not reality. And I have my own story. My own story, it's, it's mundane, but I live with it every day, which is why it's mundane. And that's the other thing, which I want to come back to. When we, when we start comparing ourselves to, you know, a doctor on, on a thing or a lawyer or a machine gun star, we, we start seeing it. But like I said, it's, it, we live our mundane lives and we live with it every day. And our story is one that seems like it's nothing. Now, our story is a story that we have to live because we can't just download ourselves into another body or something or skip around like a video game or, you know, quick save, restart level or something like that. Be nice. Uh, There's a few things I would do, but there's a lot of things that I wouldn't do again because uh, my story, the way I have it, is actually, um, you know what? I, I, I like it. It's my story. And that's the thing. Now, I've gone over parts of my story before, um, uh, specifically in the I Left episode, uh, which I detailed quite a lot of it, but um, well, a lot part of my activism part of my life. But I, there's a lot of it that I haven't gone over. And that's, that's for a good part because that's personal, that's mine. But I don't really compare it much to other uh, to what's happening in media. I don't see myself, you know, what if I was, you know, a soldier of the great war? What if I was, uh, you know, a fancy medicine? What if I was this or that? What if, well, who cares? The healthy response to that is that's a story. So when I have my relationship and I say, oh, it could, it could be better. It could be this. No, my relationship is what it is. It's not a storybook uh, romance. So, but it could be like you could teach that type of thing through anybody's story because everybody loves somebody, and it's always going to look slightly different to to different people, right? Right. So, like the story of you falling in love may be different entirely from my story of falling in love somewhere else, but exchanging those stories together actually does, I think. And this is just conjecture on my part, but I think it does um, help other people understand not just me, but other people. You know what I mean? It's it's the variety of experience that are similar that helps us get a deeper understanding of all similar experiences, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I tell you my story and then you have a, oh, wait, he did that. That's not the same, but I think I can adapt that to my situation, which is a lot of what happens. Um, the core, or you like, can contingency plan. Like you could fathom, or um, what's the word for that? You you could imagine other people's responses before they happen. Potential responses, not just one. Like I'm going to do this, and I know this person is going to react like that. That type of thinking isn't really fair to the other person. No. And the only way for us to accept the fact internally that we don't actually know what other people are going to do until they do it is to come up with a whole bunch of potential ways that somebody will respond. Even if you're really sure they'll respond one way, you have to acknowledge the fact that there are so many possible ways for them to respond. You're just dealing with likelihoods because they could have had a really good breakfast that morning and just been feeling good and then chosen the 10% chance response. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Just based on their body chemistry that day, it could just be that fluid. Um, 
my story got a lot more interesting when I started taking those weird chances, <laughs> but, um, that's just me. But I think, yeah, this is where we get back to those people telling stories around a campfire. Um, well, this is what happened to me. And we do this all the time. Like you go to a coffee shop with your friend and you start telling your story. So this is what's been happening. Like, ah, my boss did this and then I did this and it actually turned out all right, but I'm still kind of nervous about it because, you know, I'm hoping there's no backlash, but I think everyone's better off, but I ruffled a few feathers, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? And you're asking for input. So the other person, they're not asking, you're not asking the other person to be like, here's what you need to do, which is what a lot of people, which is annoying. I'm not asking what you would do. I'm asking like, do you have anything like this in your story? (laughs) And when like not, we're not all psychologists, but the other person, like we're looking for support. We're looking for, you know, well, you know, similar thing happened in my story, you know, anecdote reacts to anecdote. I I had a boss and they fired me, but you know what? That's their loss. So I'm, I'm working at a better place now. And then, you know, it's like, you know what, that your story makes my story feel better. Not because it's like I'm comparing the two. It's, 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 you're not comparing the two stories. Oh, it's good to know someone else has a worse story. It's like, um, kid with Down syndrome going to university. It's like, if they can do it, you can do it. It's like, what? Of course I can do it. Also, wait, what? <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of, there's no point to that type of relationship though. Right. Like the one story has nothing to do with the other. Cause you'll never experience the same life circumstances as a person with down syndrome if you don't have it. Right. So like, yeah, he's got a different story. Like I'm like, anyway, so you, uh, these two people telling each other their stories, solidify the story and say, okay, I'm not, acting a representation and we're both acting out reality it's good to know that i'm not just losing my mind and so we tell each other stories not just to give each other information we tell each other stories to make sure we're not just acting in the representation to bring us back into reality make sure the story is aligning with reality and so you see this a lot with people that um write or uh exist only alone um or uh, I remember when I was writing, I came up with some weird stuff, but if you are creating or doing art or writing or doing something in isolation, you'll come up with some weird stuff. And this is, this is a lot of times like you get someone like Vincent van Gogh, who kind of, he was in a French town. He was kind of isolated from everyone else in the art world. And he came up with some interesting and new stuff but he was Vincent van Gogh. Um, And so he had created this whole new style all of his own because he wasn't subject to all the the inputs of everyone else. He also um, went insane uh, to some extent. And when his brother came and got him, um, he and got him the help he needed uh, and he moved and he helped him and he moved him into a doctor's house. Um, Van, Vincent Van Gogh, uh, showed, um, a lot of improvement and his art became, you know, brighter and stuff like that. Um, and he came back to reality because he was just, you know, he didn't think he cut off his ear and then went to the brothel and gave it his ear to a hooker saying, here, I got you this or something like that. And so, uh, he would be attracted to women that he just, the wrong woman every time. And so when his brother was around to show him back to reality, uh, then Go was a lot more um, grounded, centered, um, happier, um, just in general. And yeah, if you're a Van Gogh scholar, definitely write an essay in the comments, please. <laughs> but um, 
So we rely on these stories to not just to show us a good time, but also to um, ground us in reality. Now, to some extent, I would say that we enjoy these stories, not because, you know, we're not doing our work. I think that a lot of times we are chemically enjoy a lot of these stories because they teach us and you know it's a evolutionary adaptation these this storytelling this this these movies these songs these uh books because you know why do we gravitate towards this stuff well because we're predisposed to tell stories to each other so that because that's how we um rectify ourselves with reality and learn and gain and we become more um effective uh by sharing information instead of being like i'm the barrel maker i make barrels well does what happens when you die i don't know i don't care it's not my problem it's like so no he tells the story about how to make barrels so that when he dies there's other people to make barrels and you know barrels live on barrels live on but agriculture lives on that's very important um so we have all this society because of these stories but and here's the big butt and it's a very large butt um and you cannot lie no (laughs) because if you do lie um the story doesn't get told right and you get people acting with regard to a reality that doesn't exist and this is a lot of times what you see with uh well it's pretty obvious in the media right now you have a lot of people being like um Oh, this is gonna get me in trouble. Like I could go in, I could go in and say I'm this or that. I'm an attack helicopter. That has nothing to do with reality. I'm telling a story that I want to hear, not that exists in reality. And so, I'm me being identifying as an attack helicopter sounds cool, uh, but it's not real. And it would make a good story, but when I take it seriously, it becomes something damaging to me and those around me. And so this, that's a pretty dramatic example, but when I get, when I do something like say, uh, go to the range, I have to be telling myself the proper story every single time, or I could get hurt. Somebody else could get hurt. Uh, and, um, a lot of times, uh, criminal investigations start guns are serious things you need to be using them in a very very respectful way all the time you need to know what's going on you need to be aware of the mechanism you shouldn't just be like i got a gat it's like no (laughs) what how does that gat work how does that you know is it striker fire does it hammer fire you need to know these things you need to know uh grain you need to know powder load you need to know um uh the mechanism like everything gauges and oh yeah because if you don't you could be like i just put the bullet in and blah 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 it's like no and you go to any range and there's evidence of these people who have watched too many movies or are afraid of them and you know there's a lane two there's evidence of someone who got kicked out of the range because there's just a hole right there in the ceiling <laughs> and this is someone who wasn't telling themselves the good the proper story they were blinded by um i don't know I, okay i don't know i don't know the actual story about that hole but i can probably assume that they were blinded by the and i see this a lot of times with 
uh, people that come in, like you can go in to the range I go to and you can see the, uh, the group of guys that come in on one of their birthdays and they'll be like, yeah, we're going to shoot guns. We're going to shoot guns. And the CFO is like, pay attention. And the CFOs are very professional. You have to be, or you'll lose your license as a range. And, um, and I've done that job before. Um, briefly, he, uh, I left when he pointed a gun at somebody (laughs) and, uh, he called me a derogatory term for the, um, female, genitalia i don't care he pointed a gun at somebody i'm not working for that man yeah and that's just based on wisdom yeah (laughs) nothing more nothing less so even though i knew the gun wasn't loaded even though i knew that those two people trusted each other even though i knew there wasn't even a magazine in that pistol (laughs) yeah and that's against the law like flat out if you're going to have a license to operate something legally, you can't break the law with it and assume that there's no consequence. Yeah. That's the reason there are laws and licensing requirements. And so, and it is excessive. Like, don't get me wrong. Like the way they'd make you check every time you put it down and pick it up, or if somebody else touches it, you have to check it every time. Mm-hmm. But you do that for a reason. Doing that assures you that you will never harm another person with that gun. Yeah. It lets me, it lets my story keep going. Um, yeah. And so and if everybody does it, then we can trust everybody is using their guns responsibly because we can visibly see them doing those redundancy checks to make sure that everything's being operated safely. Yeah. And if you watch, at, oh yeah, but no, that's, that's right. Because the, the, the benefit is, is that when we're all responsible about it and the Canadian gun community goes way above and beyond for this um for the most part like that one story i'm telling about that one range owner that's an outlier that guy's a goof though if you see anything anything goofy uh with regard to this stuff you just go to a different place it's going to be a little more uh in line with reality now i love gun movies like john wick those were good movies I really like those movies and those are probably the best depiction of guns ever outside of a war movie really. But even those movies are generally mess it up sometimes. But, um, uh, I'm partial to those like nineties and early two thousands action movies with like, you know, Van Damme and Nick Cage or yeah. uh, Schwarzenegger, Stallone. Yeah. Stallone with like two M sixties, just da, 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 like, and his muscles are bulging cause those guns are like, heavy unloaded and so you get this and you get this idea that like oh they make it look so easy here's the trick now i've been shooting pistols for about a year and a bit now Uh, and uh i've been shooting rifles for a long time but pistols are hard they're really hard to like just to hold you got to grip it properly and then like you have to like to hit something and to get a grouping like that has taken me a year of hard work. And it's been like a lot of work just sitting there, consistency, um, getting it right. And you, uh, and it's exercise and discipline and breathing. And it's all those little things that you do for, um, for like sports. Yeah. It, it's the same as that, except it's just a different type of sport. Like playing pool requires the same type of concentration yes. as shooting a gun and swinging a golf club has the same type yes. of mental practice as playing pool and watching a golfer do that makes it look easy watching someone play pool well it's kind of like in the pool movies where you see them go 
and everyone know, knows when you, they see a stupid shot in pool anyone who plays pools just kind of like neat shot impossible but neat and so when but pool when you make a bad shot the worst you're gonna get is the ball flies up and hits the guy you know in the face or something maybe it hits his drink and it you know the glass shards and it's like no one's gonna kill anyone playing pool (laughs) yeah but when you see what people who practice a lot with firearms do what they are capable of like you try firing a three round burst from a semi-automatic pistol and hit every target at 25 meters (laughs) i can't do that I've seen people do it and doing that on the move it's 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 amazing and like honestly most a lot of these guys are in the military and the police forces and I want them to be able to do that <laughs> so but we because have- it's really important for them to disable when they're trying to disable and kill when they're trying to kill like it's very very important that they're not just that they hit their target but where they hit their target yeah and like in a gunfight Oftentimes you don't really have a choice of where you hit the target. If you hit the, you want to hit the target. Um, and so a lot of times, uh, also knowing it allows you, if you actually get in a situation where you do need a firearm, you don't need to fire your firearm. And this is what they don't show in the thing. They just be like, you know, in the cowboy movies, they're just sitting on the, end of the table and just one of them goes, <laughs> no, because people don't want to get hurt. And you really need to realize that firearms and psychology inter- interact in reality, not their representation. In the representation, you can shoot as many people as you want. Like go play Call of Duty or go play uh, Red Dead Redemption. Like you can shoot people. Why? Because it's a video game. It's like, well, they shouldn't be able to do that. It's like, no, they should be able to be able to shoot as many people as you want in a video game because it's a video game. It's a representation. It's a story. Now it's like, oh, kids are going to get the wrong impression. It's like, yeah, which is why we have to teach with the thing what we're going to get to is that's why we have ratings too you don't let kids watch rated r movies because they're not mature enough to process the difference between reality and movies as well as an adult or like ratings on games a mature rating isn't just a symbol they throw in the game for legal reasons like parents should not be buying 18 plus games to kids unless the kid can come up with a thesis that explains how their entertainment is separate from their actual life's manifestation (laughs) Mm -hmm. now what happens if let's just keep a keep keep an eye on that because we're going to talk about that a bit more but i want to get through this if i am in a i don't know say society's collapsed and i am off hunting for food and i meet someone who just wants to take my stuff okay we're in follow world but whatever i don't have to just shoot him and loot him one thing your gun provides you with a lot of alternative uses and this is what they never show in the movies or rarely do you have a very loud safety. <laughs> it's very loud. So you, you know, a lot of times, and this is, I guess the military people call this escalation of force, but what you can do is, you know, you chamber around, click, big click. That click is a threat. <laughs> that click has implied intentions. Uh, and then you remove the safety. Another click, dude, are you sure you want to do this? You know, and then you, you know, bring the weapon to bear, you're not aiming it, you're just bringing it up. And then, you know, it's like, ugh, fine, if you attack me, I will attack first. And so you don't want, like, just because you have a gun doesn't mean you need to shoot it. It's a threat in itself. And so this happens with, and this is, this is not just happens with firearms, but it's 
it's never depicted like this. You, you, if you have knowledge of what your firearm is capable of, um, and if you have knowledge of what other people perceive it as, then you can use it accordingly in a situation like that. And police know this. They put their hand on their waist and you, they, I mean, you know, the person in the car is just like, Oh, officer, how's it going? Because they know what power that, uh, that, that pistol gives them. And so then they go and they see that you're just some like, scared uh you know 19 year old kid and you're just like <laughs> sorry i thought you were a different or like you know i thought you were one of the cars we were looking for or something or they, they'll never say that but they'll be thinking that it's just like oh it's just some pissant kid and so they'll like you would hope so their hand will go from their pistol to their notebook <laughs> in which case you get more shit scared because now it's like oh i'm not gonna get shot oh no i have to live with the reality of a ticket um so uh or like i've got to deal with auto pack now so um you the reality is is that it's a lot more complicated than that so the lesson uh, like you can learn the, the the moral lesson like stand up to the bad guys in your life from like a cowboy movie it's a great lesson to learn if you're getting bullied on the playground you don't just let them bully you you stand up like you earn your respect and it's like oh no don't fight back or don't do this it's like no i never got anything i was a small kid in school i got bullied a lot i got more points for throwing a punch back even though my little chicken arms didn't do anything uh but for fighting back, I got left alone, which is, you know, I guess what I wanted on the playground. Although I moved a lot, so I had to learn this lesson over and over and over again. <laughs> it never stuck because I kept having to change schools. Um, Practice, man. Yeah. So I learned the lesson uh, in reality. Now, when it comes to something like medicine or law or cooking shows, the person cooking, I like the, the person who knows how to use his firearm knows how to use their knife. Now, it's not saying the knife is a weapon, but they know how to like do that thing where they can just go and just like have diced tomatoes or something just just like that. And they have like, <laughs> like, I can't do that. And so it's reality doesn't align. You have to realize that you don't do that. Now, I guess the solution to this, to all this um, isn't getting rid of um isn't getting rid of media depictions of certain things isn't banning cigarettes from <laughs> movies isn't banning uh isn't making the bad guys in our movies uh different colors or main making them a certain way like what's wrong with german bad guys like <laughs> are all the russians they use yeah the russians everybody loves being scared of the russians Oh, they're fun to be scared of. And then you meet an actual Russian and they're just like fun. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Russians are pretty fun. They're, they're not bad people <laughs> uh, individually. Um, when they start getting together in large numbers, you get very high levels of Oorah! and then you get weird stuff going on. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're fun. Populations people. are going to be aggressive if they're under dictatorships. That's just guaranteed. And Oosh. if they're not aggressive yet, like the North Korean public, they will be eventually because that's trauma. You're, you're traumatizing an entire population from, from the ground up. Yeah. Just politically. That one North Korean defector woman is making the rounds on the podcast circuit. And if you oh, listen- Oh, not just the round. She's going everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, like on all sides. And she's making the circuit and her story is horrific. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the reality- And unfortunately, that's all she has because she's spent a life oppressed. Yeah. An entire lifetime where she couldn't develop skills or 
do public speaking or study or do anything that we take for granted. So I think it's really important that they speak up. But like if you had 100,000 of those, you couldn't just host them all on podcasts and news shows. There's just too many. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about the reality. And there's a lot of like, I think my wife watched a Korean drama show recently where like uh pop South Korean woman gets stranded in North Korea by accident or something. And she gets this hunky North Korean soldier, you know, tall, strong. There's two things that don't happen in North Korea and attractive uh, rescue her. And they're like, I can't hand her over. I've got to take care of her. And him and his uh, plucky squad of soldiers, because, you know, they're soldiers in North Korea, have to deal like they show you how bad things are, but it's way worse. Um, in North Korea and they make it to South Korea and they end up saying, well, I'm going back because that's where I'm from. That's kind of like a depiction of it. The reality shows up in this girl's this woman now uh, in her story where, you know, she um, it's like the worst thing Orwell had come up with and it's completely reality. Uh, so, um, you know, they don't have the word I, they use we and us for everything. It's, ah, it's, 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 it's soul shattering and the reality, but so we have to act with regard to the reality of what North Korea is not with what we have it depicted in stories because stuff like that, it's worse than what is, is in, in, in the stories. Um, you get, and it, it's also better too, in some respects. Like if you think about the love and compassion shown by the South Korean people universally for defectors of North Korea, that's astonishing. And almost nowhere do you ever see that. We're a country at war with another country who's on standby border, allows uh-huh. people to come through and not treat them as a POW. Like they will feed them and clothe them and educate them and try and integrate them yeah. into society. And it's just beautiful, but it's not sensational. So it's not movie yeah. worthy. Apparently right? there is some stigma with regard to that, um, the, the North Koreans are treating the defectors as a kind of like this, like, uh, they're a bit of a subclass, but they're free. They're not like saying, okay, what do we do with you? Uh, like, what do you do with someone who's been oppressed their entire life? And it's like, oh, you give them a job. Okay. We give them a job. And then there's a lot of suspicion of them too, though, but they are helping them and they're not slaves. They're not like, or they're not thrown in jail and they're not tortured for information. Like they could be used as tools, employees to, mm-hmm. to try and, well, you know, they could torture them and tell the North Korean government to do something for them to get them to stop, mm-hmm. which they obviously wouldn't. But the point is they could be aggressive. And in the States, they have Guantanamo Bay. So the land of freedom that goes and murders in the name of freedom doesn't do what South Korea does with their defectors. They lock them up in an international prison where they have no laws and they invoke the Patriot Act yeah, and they do all kinds of things. Of the Patriot Act. Go read Snowden. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with- it's important to point out just that the story itself isn't always better and it's not always as bad as it looks. Like no. The real story and I think- is usually more... more- I think when we look at the representation of something like that um, romantic comedy, I think it was called Crash Landing on Me or Crash Landing on You. Um, it's on Netflix. I was just like, this is stupid. You have to watch it. And she did. Uh, <laughs> and apparently it was cute. But um, the fact that they have this depiction of North Korea, like means that like the South Koreans definitely are at least, you know, they're it shows more about the nature of the South Koreans than it does of the depiction of the North Koreans. And I think that's important because you have to take, uh, and this comes to the solution 
uh, clunky segue is that you have to look at what you're watching and what you're reading, not with a skeptical or critical approach, but with as it is. It is a um, it is a depiction. It is a representation. You have to be aware of that at all times. We have to un- like with regard to what you said earlier about ratings is that you know kids. It's harder for kids to do this. It's harder for certain people to realize this and take it as a representation and not just as literal. This is the story. This is what. You should be. You should be. Uh, I don't know what's being depicted on the screen. You should be a doctor that does this, like uh, what's his name, House or something. Um, you should be because this is what a, the best doctor is. It's like no, that's what that particular character doctor is. It's a representation, uh, and the purpose of it is important. The medium is the message. Um, you, it's showing you that because that's the way that they're going to tell the story. Not that's what they're telling you the way they should be. And it's harder for kids to realize this, which is why we kind of ease them into representation. We don't show them like, you know, you're six now, it's time to watch, you know, Saving Private Ryan. It's like, ugh. Now, Saving Private Ryan is an interesting one because they have that super realistic intro scene, which is supposed to be a representation, but it's supposed to be realistic as possible. But then after that intro part, when they start to go off to actually save Private Ryan, um, uh, it becomes very allegorical. It's uh, it's a representation of a lot of the war, not just um, it stops being literal. Um, there's characters, there's archetypes. On the beach, there's no archetypes. There's just soldiers. This is what it would have looked like um, from the point of view of the main character and stuff like that. But you don't know anything about the main character. He's just a captain or a lieutenant, lieutenant, he's American who's storming a beach. But then once you get characterization in that, it becomes archetypal. It becomes, this is what the war would have been like. This is a representation of the war and how bad it is and how terrible these things are and how people would have gone through it. Because you can't show these minute stories. Now, if you want to, if you want those less representational stories, go read um, War Diaries. Um, or something by uh, Stephen Ambrose. Um, the Diary of Helmut von Luck is really good because <laughs> it's from the perspective of a German soldier, and uh, which is really interesting. He ends up in a uh, gulag after the war. The war didn't end to him end for him till like 1950 or something. So when we are approaching this media, we have to realize as to what it is. And now I'm definitely trained to do this. This is half of my job. You know, when I read a document, I have to be like, what is this trying to show me? How is this a representation? Where is the bias here? Where is, what is going on in this document? And I have to be aware of that, but we all kind of have to be aware of that with ourselves. And we can't say, we can't let an over-reliance on media show us what we're supposed to and how we're supposed to be living. And I think this is hard for a lot of people. It's hard for me sometimes, you know, cause you, you, you watch these things and you're like, oh man, I wish I was that cool. And it's that simple. So I don't know, how do we deal with that? Um, and frankly, I think it's a very nuanced answer and it changes from person to person. But I think realizing that it's just TV is probably one of the first things we need to do. 
But I think the hard part is people differentiating the parts of TV that they're allowed to take in and the parts that they're not allowed to take in. And by allowed, I mean like allowing themselves. So like for us to watch a movie completely aware and competent of how guns work, or at least partially, um, we know not to accept the unrealities of movies like when people gun butt somebody and don't expect their their gun to jam after hitting them with the depends <laughs> on the gun uh it like does, if it's a revolver like yeah the point is smack them all in the head <laughs> the difficulty is a person realizing that something they just saw is worth crit- criticizing or not that's mm-hmm. the part that's difficult because you can't really teach all situations to people you have to teach them similar situations so yeah. like when two people fall in love at first sight, yeah, it's close to possible, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not the ideal way of falling in love. It, as romantic as it seems, there's a much deeper love to be had when you realize you're in love with somebody after knowing them. I think. Yeah. I have lust at first sight. Um, and for some reason, love at first sight isn't as stupid as it sounds. Cause with my wife, I knew you kind of get a feeling it's this this again it's not mystical it's not metaphysical that's metaphysical in a way but it's not like outside the realm of um reality you know it's no one ordained me to be with my wife i was lucky um and but you go through life and you meet people i hate that guy oh man that guy looks cool and you don't even know them you don't even talk to them uh you just some people are just neutral some people just don't have any presence in your mind and it's this your brain telling me like this is a person that you'll jive with you should talk to them and this happens and every once in a while you know that lust at first sight and the you know that jive your body says your brain says like it's decoding all the minutia of information that's coming into you and then you see this person you're just like I'm going to get along with that person. I'm going to get along with that person so well. Like we sat down and it was, you know, best friends the first time. I remember where we were. We were in, um, it was in the third class where it was like English and uh, math. And we just sat down in the back row on the right hand side of the uh, thing. We're just like making fun of this program. And we're just like, oh, we're going to be friends, aren't we? And it just happened. We just kind of knew that we were going to get along. And we did for like, well, it's 20 years later (laughs) Mm -hmm. and like actually literally 20 years later. The ability to distinguish the difference in the movie from the reality of that type of an encounter, though, I think is really important. And I think that comes from maturity and exposure through time. So you can't just start somebody off with a mature theme and expect them to get all the nuance. They have to progressively watch like G-rated movies to see like what a relationship is and what a villain is. Then you watch PG movies so that you see like how the the main characters sometimes make mistakes. And then you have your your rated R movies where everything there's no holds barred. You can do whatever you want with the plot and the directing and and the action scenes and all that. And it's assumed that the people already have a background knowledge from which to criticize. But if you have no critical perception of what parts to pick out, you're sort of screwed from the get-go. Like you have no chance at actually figuring out what's worth taking in as an influential scene and what's not. Right. And this is muddied further by um, reality TV, which... Which people um, think is real. And that's just called reality TV. And it's almost less real, I would say. I would pause it and I'll, uh, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to die on this hill a bit. At least I'm going to get wounded on this hill. Um, it's less real 
than fiction TV. Now, okay, there's a few different things I'm trying to say here. There's reality TV, which we'll get into. Then there's fiction like, um, hell, Star Trek's more real than it has more bearing on reality than reality TV. It tells you an actual moral with archetypes that you can readily recognize, and it has more bearing on reality than reality TV. Sports, which I could argue is technically reality TV, is actually real. Same with live news feed casts with, you know, where they're just showing you what's happening without the interpretation. This is something that's happening in reality. It's just, they're showing you something that's happening in reality. It's like, a, it's like watching CPAC or something. You're watching the House of Commons do its thing unfiltered. Now, sports is more interesting, but um, that is actual reality TV if you're watching a hockey game because it's actually happening. So there's not really much interpretation. Now, there is like the commercials and telling you what you should and shouldn't like. And this happens just like any other piece of medium media where you need to be like, okay, I don't actually need uh, a hamburger to be happy. <laughs> um, and this is, this is a kind of a microcosm of what we're trying to say here. But reality TV is, there's nothing redeemable about it. There's just people, when you put on this, you know, that psychological thing, when you, when you, when something, when you observe a experiment, it changes the result of the experiment just because it's like somebody's watching me. <laughs> and so they, they, they act with regard to that. And so that's why it makes psychology so um, difficult to um, process. But it's also the character selections. Like if you're going to make a show and you want it to be interesting, you're going to pick people who are flamboyant and like stir the pot. You're going to yeah. pick uh, gadflies. That, that's the point of the show is to make it interesting. So the people producing the show intentionally make um, yeah. conflict. You like, don't, that's like, not reality. You don't just like... bump into these people all the time. And they're picking out the one in a hundred who's most annoying. And you're plopping them in a room and calling it Big Brother. Yeah. It's just like you pick out somebody who just makes noises and then a bunch of other people. Like put a bunch of ADHD people in a room together and they'll fight. Yeah. <laughs> like, they probably yeah. develop like uh, nuclear fusion. <laughs> yeah. Just, just to spite each other. <laughs> but... They this fix is the world's problems. Like it's there. It's it's tailored reality. In which case, it's not a representation. So you know you have these um, poorly adjusted, overly sexy people uh, walking around doing this stuff. Now, on a cooking show, generally you're going to get people who are actually cooking. But if you get like something like um, I don't know. I don't know too much about this. Like Survivor was always like, I remember taking survival training and like how to survive in the woods um, when I was a teenager. And uh, then Survivor came on at about the same time. We're all looking at like, these people are idiots. They're going to starve to death. <laughs> like they're going to die. <laughs> and one guy almost did by leaning over a fire and breathing in all the carbon monoxide. He like fell on top of the fire because he passed yeah. out immoral don't be like that guy yeah. but like so, so there learn, are some things you can learn from reality tv that are real but it's like, usually not involved in the story your parents can tell you that at a campfire it's not some like moral story like you know jesus said in corinthians 4 3 don't inhale the fumes of a campfire it's bad for your lungs like come on like it's Especially not exactly while leaning over top of it <laughs> yeah don't step in campfires when you're drunk or like 
don't drink around fire. I'm like, come on. <laughs> these are things that you can learn. Like these are, these are small things. These are, these are, these are points of uh, procedure. They're not things that will teach you how to be a better person. And we're taking those as actual, you know, wisdom. Now that's a point, like I said, it's a point of procedure. Don't like wear a scarf in the winter. Like I don't need a reality television show to teach me that. One bout of pneumonia will teach me that for the rest of my life. And um, and I think that's sort of where it gets difficult though, because some people have the benefit of good parents. And by, I don't mean the subjective good parent as in the one who is Mother Teresa or whatever, but I mean the parent channel. that teaches those type of life <laughs> skills. Yeah. And some people don't. And the people that don't are less uh, apt to um, to consume more mature media appropriately, mm -hmm. to put it very no, vaguely. Appropriately, responsibly. Yeah, that's exactly it. But it all comes down to the, their background knowledge because you can only do something mature after you've developed some type of maturity. And maturity requires some type of progression from immaturity to maturity. Yeah. And if people are stunted and immature and then they grow up that way because they've just been uh, feasting on all of this bad mental drama from, you know, sitcoms and video games or what, whatever it is that they consume on a regular basis without actually thinking about it. If that's their entire life right to adulthood, as adults, they'll assume they're mature just for the sake of their own age yeah. and not even realize that they have no critical thought. And without yeah. that critical thought, you can't actually analyze anything that is mature with any mature reasoning. You're just going to be pulling everything out from everything you see and assuming that it's all real. That's, that's exactly it. And that's why a lot of parents will shy away from having, it's like, just don't play video games. I'm like, no, there's a lot of good video games out there. Um, and you can learn a lot from the experience of being immersed inside of a video game too. So it's not just entertainment. They're also reading, they're problem solving, it's um, action reflexes. Jedi so Fallen Order was a great game. Like, it's a great story. Play the yeah. game. It's a good story. Uh, and there's lots of games out there. Like, there's a lot of games out there. Like, um, Metal Gear Solid 2 was like really a mindfuck. Like, <laughs> right. The whole, the whole thing was about like an, well, I don't want to give it away, but actually yeah, everybody you, should play that game if, if nothing else, should. just because it, I don't think you can give away a hideous, uh, a Kojima game. Like, it's so convoluted you like telling spoilers doesn't help <laughs> well but that one specifically had a huge twist at the end yeah. and, and it like related to all of regular life too except for the fact that you know it's a game and it's entertainment but like the ideas they spawn make you really really think about the world outside and yeah. that to me is like the hallmark of a good piece of media not just for entertainment but any media that makes you think deeply about your real life without being forced to believe or think something that's erroneous, I think that's really beneficial. That's what art is supposed to do. That's what music and, and is supposed to do and painting and, and sports even. Like to be able to, to realize that some human being, even if not me, can free climb a mountain that was previously unclimbable. Just knowing that it's possible for the human body to do that changes the way I might reflect on um, like climate change and, and realizing what humanity can endure physically from the, the changing tides of nature. So like we can take a lot of abuse, but we're also very fragile as a people. But discovering similarities of um, just our nature and what we're capable of, those types of things give us a more mature outlook on what we can handle moving forward in, in the unforeseen. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And but I, I, think I think that that's like a developed knowledge, though. That's not something you can just teach directly as a point form question in one year and say, now you're a critical thinker. It comes yeah. from a basis 
like a no. really firm basis where you, you apply this type of approach to everything you've approached and for an extended period of time. And that's, well, that's kind of, that's a good point. That's why I really don't, I have qualms with um, the education system is because like they give you a certificate and all of a sudden, you know, this It's like, again, go to our certificates and go to our um, marks don't matter episode for that. But for an example of what you're talking about, I, I brought this up. My favorite show was Babylon five when I was a kid, because there was giant spaceships blowing the living hell out of each other, you know, just these epic set piece battles, but the story linked them all together. And then, you know, every once in a while you get a point of wisdom that would just move you more than the biggest explodious battle in the show. And I don't know, you get stuff like, uh, like this one, the main character is talking to this emperor guy and he says, you know, the emperor starts looking at, I've never had a choice in my entire life. I've been a, like I'm emperor of an entire species and I haven't made one single decision in my entire life and ever because I'm scared, like so much pain, so much blood. And for what I wonder, the past tempts us, the present confuses us and the future frightens us and our lives slip away moment by moment, lost in the vast, terrible in between. Just like, oh, geez. And that hit me. That hits you hard. And it's this cable television show about aliens on a space station because it was a piece of mature um it was a mature story and it's a representation of us and that's what teaches us and even though it's not trying to patronize you saying like you know uh, glorified sesame street where it's just like here's the things you need to know about your life blah 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 and like whenever media tries to do that like you get law and order doing that constantly like i can't believe someone would do this my god or like some heavy-handed uh moral you wonder why they think like there are people out there in the me too movement who think there's a culture of rape in canada and the u.s and it's because they're watching all of this tv where there's constantly violent rape like uh and not nypd blue but um law and order and stuff like that uh, yeah. CSI, SVU, the Special CSI, Victims Unit. CSI is a good example of this because CSI tries to tell you this morality and it tries to throw a morality at you. But what we don't realize is that CSI is literally the point of the show is to shock you. Mm. Like, oh and my people, God. They hear it so often they don't even realize that they're believing that there's this rampant rape culture in the world. Mm-hmm. And there just isn't. Flat out, every human being you meet wants to love somebody and raise children. Mm-hmm. They might wind up down the road raping somebody through a fit of passion or trauma or maybe they're psychopaths that one in a thousand yeah. well, but like to say there's a culture of rape would imply that it's on our billboards and it's in our movies and we're teaching kids to do it and we're saying that it's okay and we're not prosecuting people like to say there's a culture of rape is patently false if well, you just point, look around the world today well to say that is to assume that all men do it but it's just like oh well don't do it and it's like oh well i never thought of that and it's like yeah. of course i'm not gonna do it i want have like but that's sort of the first of all i don't want that... to do it second of all i like having mutual intercourse is like it's, it's night preferable. and day it's preferable yeah. let's just say that it's a small word for it but i get so much more from that and beyond yeah, we the recognize sexual realm. but the point is they don't even realize that they're carrying a belief that they developed from watching tv Yes. You don't even realize that, that believing in ra- uh, rape culture in Canada or the States is because of an influence of a television show 
mm. or blog articles, not because they went out into the real world and they heard people talking at bus stops about the chick they raped yesterday. Yeah. And it also doesn't even, it doesn't even address the female on male, male rape or gay rape. They don't even talk about it hardly. Well, and it, it's, it's highlighting the problem instead of highlighting the reality. I'm just saying what you're saying, but you get this depiction of like they think the re- the reality is like these are a couple outliers like i know the outliers do more damage than everyone else in society like you few bad apples ruin the bunch but if you have 10 rapists in your uh in your uh in your little uh municipality which isn't a lot a municipality is a big thing or like but those 10 people can do a lot of damage and can create a lot of fear in in that thing so we need like this is why we have police officers to deal with those who will do that who are damaged enough to um do such a heinous act and this goes with like any other crime like robbery murder or um uh you know anything like that we, like, we don't have a murder culture in fact far from it like if you say well we should have a death penalty in canada a lot some people will be like yeah but a lot of people will be like no i'm not sure about that <laughs> see the thing is in the states they actually do have a murder culture there is a culture where if you walk up to a random american they will promote their stand their ground laws like in texas and florida or mississippi or things like that mm-hmm. that's actually a cultural thing where like groups of people will openly speak proudly about murdering an individual who invades their property. They're like, I want a gun at home so I can defend myself from a home invasion. That's Mm. fine if that's your thing, but to say it on TV and write it on your Facebook and to tell people outright, like to boast about it, that's a culture of it. Well, that's that's what they're with every culture. And that's one thing I don't like about like firearm culture. Like I said, I'm in the firearm community, I guess, but like, it's the same thing with like, motorcycle culture or or weed culture but like you get people going around like i don't have anything against someone having a firearm to defend their home making that your identity though is the same thing as that rape culture thing where you are um elevating one issue to above everything else because you think that that's what's happening because you watch too much news you watch you watch too many movies you don't have there's that disconnect between reality and thing now just because i'm willing to defend my home with a firearm or would be in canada please don't come looking for any shotguns in my foyer i don't even own a shotgun uh but if i was to have a weapon it'd probably be the best one to do it with you know whatever um the the thing is is that i'm not i'm probably not going to have a home invasion um, the worst thing I'm going to suffer is the neighbor kids coming on my lawn all the time looking for their cat and just deciding to have a conversation in my backyard where I will just use things like words <laughs> to be like, dude, get off my property. I'm trying to garden here. <laughs> so there's not an actual problem here. The reality of it is important. The representation of it is fun. Uh, you get something like... Um, Again, that John Wick scene in the first movie where, you know, he literally has a home invasion, but he's up against gangsters who are out to get him because he stole a car from another guy who stole his car and killed his dog. So he's got like 10 hitmen coming out of him. Now, I'm not going to get hitmen after me. I'm a YouTuber, historian, uh, husband dude. Like, it would be a chance in a billion if someone actually came into my house. But even if you wanted to prepare yourself for it and you wanted a gun for it, it's the subliminal influence of television that gives you the belief that it's necessary to 
to, to create a culture of it, mm-hmm. to be boastful about it and to speak openly about it, to like scare other people into thinking that they're going to have a home invasion. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the problem isn't in, in my eyes, it's not the fact that people are consuming media that's distasteful. The problem is they don't even realize the influence or impact it's having on them psychologically in other unrelated decisions they're making in their lives, such as where to stash a gun in case the John Wick guys come after me. Like, right. you're not that important. Nobody but, is. But there are certain neighborhoods that if I ended up living in, I'd probably want be more inclined. Not, in But this you wouldn't brag about it. You'd want no. that to be hidden. You'd no, want no. them to not know to look for it. <laughs> like, are you armed? It's like... It's good weather today. It's like, well, tell me if you're armed. It's like, no, <laughs> like, no. no, because if I'm That's actually serious sure. about defense, I have to like, if I'm actually serious about like defending my home and I'm living in a bad neighborhood for, through no fault of my own, then, uh, yeah, I'm going to be doing it in such a way that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing it. But like, again, anyway. the harm again, to me is the fact that we accept that there are bad neighborhoods that to me shouldn't even be a thing. We should say if there's crime in this neighborhood, we should all collectively try and change that. Crime oh, should be disparate yeah. across all populations. It shouldn't be relegated just to certain low-income housing projects or something. See, mm-hmm. that to me is the problem. We are so conditioned to think it's normal to have bad areas that we just accept them to be there. And there's no reason that needs to be the case. If I was a criminal, I would steal from rich people. Why is there a crime in my neighborhood if I'm living in a poor neighborhood stealing from rich people? What we're doing is a self-perpetuating, self-fulfilling prophecy by assuming that things have to be real in reality because we've seen them so often in movies and TV that there are bad neighborhoods. There's always been bad neighborhoods. There always will be bad neighborhoods. That's just not the case. You can fix a neighborhood just by equal opportunity, like things like that, that just go on. They slip under the rug. Like they're not yeah. even acknowledged as assumptions while we're making the assumptions and we're making decisions that affect them based on these, uh, these latent assumptions. That to me is the problem with an immature processing of media. Well, an immature assumption is, um, don't want to dive into economics or stuff because that's another topic. Yeah, it's totally but, another topic. But just but, as an example, that's a way yeah. that we've been manipulated and influenced all of us. But the, the immature assumption, I like that. Um, I like that phrase and it's, um, a lot of times, I think that's a good way of putting what I've been trying to talk about, uh, this entire time with the, you rely on these bad represent or you treat representation as literal and an immature assumption is perfect way of looking at it. I love that. Um, but again, as a society, that doesn't mean we should like censor this stuff. And I think censorship is again too far and we can't like we can't keep people from representations because that starves them you 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 end up with someone who's now suffering in another way and like oh, ignorance is to- much much worse because then you invent ideas and assumptions rather right. than having like, them well, dictated what, what should we and then like you end up giving them propaganda so we don't want to we don't we really don't want to do that you censor the stuff that could be problematic you know banning books or burning books like happened in ontario um last year i just learned about that it's fuming um they literally burned books <laughs> in canada yeah, it's uh it was like last year they they had uh, one of the Ontario School Divisions at 
um, admitted to burning books and it was just stuff like Asterix and Tintin because they showed representations of or bad representations of indigenous people, but they just had indigenous people in the books. And so they, they took them off the shelf. So they banned them and then burned the copies of the books and then ceremonial ceremonially buried them. That is unreal. This is real. It was just in the news a couple days ago. Um, but that should scare people like civilians and citizens alike. Like that should scare all of us. The fact that we're so I've got books of every stripe behind me. And if they like, they're not going to come for my guns. Well, they're already doing that, but they're coming. If they start coming for my books and this society has gone. And so, um, it's a far cry from that right now. But the thing is, is that if we start censoring stuff, first of all, the, the problems of free speech come up, you know, how can we argue against things that are wrong if we're not allowed to argue against the things that are wrong? Um, but you have what ends up being propaganda and people hate propaganda of every stripe. It's because it sounds like propaganda. It's asinine. It doesn't take the person seriously. It's patronizing. It feels like Sesame Street for adults. They love subtle propaganda, oh, things yeah. that they don't realize, like that, that gun and bitches and whores culture in, uh, in rap. That money, 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 I pimp <sighs> bitches out, so drugs and like all of that is propaganda. Yeah. Like straight up. And they're trying to make it look cool and appealing by having, but it's just, it's no different from like ISIS telling a suicide yeah. bomber they're going to get virgins in heaven if they yeah, blow themselves it's, up. It's a, it's You're a manipulating trap. people into it's, being part of that society so that you can exploit them and make yeah. money off them. Well, it's like, and if, when you, when you, when you control the message, when you control the representation, so people start acting with regard to that, okay, we're just defining propaganda at this time. Then, but all of it, all it's doing is you are, well, this isn't, this is to make society, this isn't to make people safer. No, it's to further the ends of the people that are providing the propaganda because they think that's right because they don't want to deal with reality themselves because the re it's, and here's the, one of the things about it is that the representation is easy because it's fake. It's, it's a fiction. You can just absorb it. It's not happening to you. You're not the one storming the beach. You're not the one fixing your relationship. Maybe you should be. Uh, you're not the one dealing with, uh, your coworkers. You're not the one in a court trial, luckily. Um, but you might be, you might be having relationship problems. You might get drafted. Hopefully not. Uh, you might end up in a court trial. Well, what do you do? Well, if the propaganda says do nothing, just let someone do it for you. No, no, you're going to have to deal with this stuff in your own life. Propaganda just gives you the approved message that you want. And when it makes it so you can't think for yourself. And that's what we want in society. We find out that when we have more brains put together instead of just one guy at the top or a couple guys at the thing, you end up not being able to make your own decisions. You just end up doing what you want. So, which is why media is so powerful, these representations. And if you can't, and if you're not, if it's comfortable for you to live in your representation, rather than allow the representation to aid you fighting in your reality. And now I'm saying fighting, but I mean like fighting to keep your marriage together, fighting to keep your friends, friends, um, fighting to, uh, get home and time to spend time with your children. These are things worth fighting for and you fight for them every day. Um, just like you fight with the pots and pans when you accidentally burn some of the rice into them. You gotta fight and scrub. You're fighting and it's reality. And it's that mundane part of reality that's important. 
But when you end up not being willing to deal with the reality and saying, okay, I'm just going to approve this. This is the approved way of dealing with reality as based on the representation sanctified by the Catholic Church. Well, we saw how that went. As sanctified by the religion of this Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, as sanctified by the Nazi Party regime, as sanctified by this or that government. You know what? Make the reason Canada and America are so powerful culturally is because we can tell whatever stories we want and we can allow the individuals to come up with that with ourselves. Creates its own chaos. But when we have more representations, the individuals in our society can think and have that for itself. And we don't need to be spoon-fed a representation uh, brought down for, by God, but some guy telling a story. And I saying, think that right there is the benefit of having um, inclusivity and d- diversity and things like that. Like what you're talking about right there is just it's not that the brown black woman or whatever has more to say than somebody else. It's that you need the dis- the, the disparate um, ideas, all of the different images and stories, and you need the diversity of thought in order mm-hmm. to be able to have the mature analysis and critical thought of any individual yeah. specific thing that you're, you're seeing. Yeah. And like, I don't want a racist person. Like we need a black person just saying what I want to say. Like if you want, like that's problematized by like, Go read Thomas Sowell or something. Mm-hmm. Black. <laughs> and, and that's the problem with the quota is that it's like an enforcement of the black. Mm-hmm. And that's not what you need. You just need some people who happen to be black. Because you there need are them as that, part of my neighbors happen to be Indian. Like and yeah. on the other side, they happen to be native uh indigenous Canadian. And all across the street, they're black. They just happen to be black. And um that's to me I'm is what's probably important. gonna be voting for a woman in the local civic election because i like her platform better not because she's a woman it has nothing to do with it there's Mm -hmm. another woman in there that says i'm a woman and i'm not voting for her because of that (laughs) because she just happens to be a woman the people behind me are white it doesn't matter it matters who they are like what they stand for and what they believe in Um, yeah it also Mm -hmm. matters that they have different stories and like having the same stories repeated over and over again might be fun but to the layman or for the average person who's not even realizing that it is propagandized like that's a problem and i think the best way that an individual can do this i'm saying like the individual is important i keep saying that like it's 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 what it comes down disputed how powerful a society of individuals is the fact that we're still talking about this is um completely ridiculous um and so the and anyone who advocates for just like no just let other people deal with it just let a collectivist society uh that's that it'll actually be better it's like well why because well it's religion and propaganda so go away your story's false but the individual has a responsibility to ask why do i keep watching this movie over and over again I've seen, like I said, I brought up Babylon 5, which you know, probably a bunch of you haven't heard of. I must have watched that 10 times in my lifetime. It came out in like 96. Because I keep coming back and there's still some truth there that I can digest. And, you know, one of the things I noticed is that in when I was in my more cynical times, I was just like, eh, but I still watched it. And now I watched it again with my wife and I was just like, it hit even harder than it did like before. And so the the, the stories 
changed with me over my life. But if you ask yourself, why do I keep watching this or that? You learn about yourself and you learn about what that message is. And you say, well, why do I keep watching this? And there's stuff that I've discarded because I didn't like the answer. Well, why do I keep watching this? Because it makes you feel good. It makes you feel this. It makes you, you know, want to fight people. And it's like, oh, I don't like that. I don't want to just, you know, watch something that makes me want to go out and be like, yeah, I want to fight. And so I realized what you do like it, you just need to make a conscious effort to right. split it up. That's right. You need thing. to like um, something like make sure sometimes you're watching some things that are different. Yeah. So like I liked uh, the movie V for Vendetta. That was a great movie. Um, very powerful. Um, one of their better movies. Now it is very like um, anti-authoritarian, which I liked. It's very fight the power, which I definitely liked when I was younger. Um, I still like it. It's just kind of like... It's I less intense very, now. Yeah. I have a more nuanced uh, idea. Measured of, approach. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to just like grab Molotov cocktails, although I'm not, a, I'm not above it, um, <laughs> but we, uh, uh, I need a good reason. And uh, the, the movie feels good because it feels like this revenge against unjust and arbitrary authority. It hits you just right. But I didn't, I was just like, okay, that's gonna, that's gonna make me just want to go out and fight. So I realized that what it was doing to me uh, was, you know, just go out, like, fight the power structure but it's just like i went and saw the power structure and it's just this guy talking about like garbage can like reclamation in uh on tuesdays versus wednesdays i'm like yeah this guy needs to be fought no it's just like he needs to be talked to and he like if you do real world sanitation yeah the real world approach to it would tell you though like oh that that's a really neat idea and it's a good platform and i believe in it and it makes me feel something and it's entertainment and then take that out into the real world and be like, hey, I could be a leader. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that's the type of critical analysis that's missing from people who don't see um, the other side of anything when you're constantly just absorbing the same material over and over like six spinoffs of CSI. Yeah. You're absolutely not getting any perspective whatsoever from the other side. It's just, it's, it's. And it, it's it doesn't benefit because it's just the same story over and over again. You don't have yeah, to think like hearing about the evil terrorists and going to kill the evil terrorists all, constantly on Fox News tells you nothing about the drug lords who are building churches and schools. It tells you nothing about the politicians who, who don't have an army to fight the drug lords in Colombia. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it, it doesn't give you any perspective or scope of actual real world problems. And it makes you think that everything can be so oversimplified to if I become a specialist in this one area of being a detective, special victims, I can always catch the bad guys. And there's always a bad guy. There's no nuance to it. There's no mm-hmm. flavors or, or subtleties. They were the um, bad guys. We were the good guys. And they made a very satisfying thump when they hit the ground. Yeah, it's really important when consuming mature subject matter that you actually identify which parts are, are being sensationalized, like right from the get go. Otherwise, like, your the subliminal subtle um underlying biases that it creates and festers mm-hmm. it, it extends into your real life afterwards and that yeah. to me is the most harmful because these people are voting based on principles and ideas that they don't understand but they think they understand them 
It's different if you know you don't understand something. Yeah, like making an you issue think a you moral understand issue when it's literally just garbage collection or something like that. Like, <clears throat> vote for this party because we're the moral party. If you don't fall, like, there's one party in Canada that does this to a massive degree. Um, it's not the Liberals or the Conservatives. There's two parties, actually, now that I think about it, who say that if you vote for us, it's a vote. Essentially, they're like making it a moral issue to vote for them. And it's just like, no, politics is like you are there to govern and administrate. Administration is not a moral issue. Not doing your administration properly becomes a moral issue, but I'm not voting for corruption or things like that. Yeah. Like everyone can act immoral in any sphere. It doesn't make like the action of voting isn't a moral issue. Well, okay, some Americans might disagree, but <laughs> I'd like to see have like commercials of political things that aren't first of all slander. So like credit to the NDP for not making like really bad. Uh, oh, I hate this guy! Look how evil he is and the shady comments Edmonton, and the quotes they, and stuff. In Edmonton, my NDP representative definitely uh, they shouldn't. I would like that. to see in politics that they have. This is what we're standing for all of their money that goes into advertising and marketing should be like this is what we're about only vote for us if you believe in what we're about mm-hmm. don't just vote for us because you hate the other guy more you know that's what abstentions are for you go there to vote to abstain if you don't agree with any of the parties one thing that i thought was really weird this is an aside and we should really move on um but um the when I'm watching the debate the block were the only ones with an actual platform which was very very strange yes and it's insane the platform is absolutely insane but at least they're coherent yeah it's like both for me because I am actually talking about stuff and what are you all talking about it's like oh man how did that guy win the debate um anyway when you haven't been in power long enough to actually be corrupt it's it's easy to be able to sling mud at other people <laughs> but yeah the, that's the um, benefit to be but th- he's playing his cards that's exactly what he should be doing to represent yeah. the quebec people yeah and the way you, they want to realize that that like why is this guy talking like this well because he's quebec for quebec mm-hmm. like he's he's not, yeah he's not being i don't even know if he's separatist anymore but he's definitely like well i'm gonna get i'm a quebec party i'm gonna get what i am for quebec this is actually surprisingly honest and i can respect that even mm-hmm. if i would never vote for him uh federally but the um but i'm glad he's there because he's at the table and he's influenced like he gets heard so mm-hmm. at least the side gets heard even if you don't follow them with policy or whatever but we you know what i mean like you want everybody at the table That's and we're talking you- about this um as if it's like this big issue but when it comes down i want to bring it back down and uh hope and um probably wrap up a bit soon mm-hmm. is that when it, it's not just politics because politics is sexy it's this big thing it has meaning it has gravitas but it's a bit of it's you know when you look at politics the gravitas is quite frivolous mostly frivolous yeah. <laughs> it's mostly frivolous same with and, their spending <laughs> yeah and the it you know when you come down to it the the same rules that we're talking about apply to cooking shows you know i can't cook i'm a terrible person well you like watching cooking shows as an individual right well yes well i don't actually can't stand them but you know i i met people who like them and they like watching them but the people that i know that like them for the most part are just like that's neat I like watching that and they don't think a lot of them know why they're watching it and a lot of them know they have a what did you call that mature assumptions mm-hmm. and they they know that because someone can do it better than them 
and has a cooking show about it doesn't mean that they're not bad cooks or be like they know what's going on the representation of cooking doesn't match up with reality because no one has a kitchen like that that's a that's a tv set and if you want four ovens (laughs) yeah that's like right and but if you want if you want oh you know what it's really cool you don't like we're not youtubing here because we want to be joe rogan or something or we want to be or famous i don't even want to influence people i just want to make them think yeah i just want more people to think more often Yeah, this is definitely not going to get me another job. <laughs> it's like, you said some problematic things. I don't think I want to work for you having said that. But um, the, the the reality of it is, is that if you actually do want to cook like that, start a cooking show. Come up with a premise. Do like go on YouTube, put a camera in your kitchen, say, all right, today we're going to be making deviled eggs. Why not? And you can make the rep- your own representation. And this... I think is probably going to be my last point is that just don't just be a viewer. You're not just a viewer. You're um, a lot of the one, one of the few decent things to come out of the postmodern movement. And this might not even be postmodern. This might just be McLuhan again, is that again, the medium isn't just there because it's there. The medium is there because people are engaging in it. You're part of the medium. And you need to realize again how you're in, but you're also potentially a creator. Like we're doing this right now and you have to digest what we're saying, but by producing, we are doing the same thing. We're engaging in representation. We're engaging in, uh, we're engaging in dissecting reality and creating in itself acts as that uh, another way of engaging with it and can help you see those immaturities in your assumptions. And so don't think, and the the assumption is, is that you are separate from the creation itself and you are, you know, some other people are the ones who make Star Wars. Other people are the ones who tell stories. Other people are the ones. No, we all tell stories constantly. And realizing that we have to, because that's what we are as people. We're storytellers. Like you go, and memorize a list of things on how to fix a car. But the best YouTube videos about changing your oil are pretty much a guy going like, all right, let's start changing a car. And he tell you a story. He'll show you, go through the story of changing the oil. And then I can act out the story of changing the oil in my car. And that's what happens. (laughs) And so we, we learn like this, but we need to realize that we are actually engaged in the storytelling itself. And this goes for politics this goes for hockey you're watching the hockey game you're cheering they're playing because you watch you're watching like and um except for reality television (laughs) reality tv is totally things so i I think think, the biggest oh sorry yeah go on no i'm just saying the, the final point i wanted to make on that is um given that we are creatures and beings that are storytellers and that we develop and our, like our personal development is predicated on storytelling too. Listening is critical mm. and how we receive information and what we listen to and how we dissect what we listen to, like the deconstructionism we talked about before with the Derrida thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's not just important, it's crucial to the learning process. I mean, you can memorize things that you've heard because you've heard them over and over again, and you can come up with some insane assumptions based on, you know, similar themes that you keep seeing 
over and over again because you're watching the same types of shows or movies or listening to the same types of music or whatever. <laughs> but to be aware of it means that you should expose yourself intentionally to alternative styles of music even though you don't like it just waste some of your free time listening to country music just get away from the rap for a minute <laughs> you know what i mean or get away from the violent movies and watch a romance um yeah. just your brain's gonna wire itself to whatever you feed it constantly and the biggest threat that we have to our own sanity and and progressive development is in the way in our capacity to listen um, so we should always listen more than we speak i, I think that's sort of my final comment yeah, I think I spoke quite a bit today. Yeah, so, just today. That I mean, in in the grand scheme yeah. of things, we should be listeners because there are more pe there are more other people with more stories. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Than yeah, we are us with a story. That'll keep you from getting cynical about things and writing your assumptions. But that's how you find balance is mm -hmm. by not having all of your your interpretations funneled through the same type of funnel. You know what I mean? Diversity yeah. of thought comes from a di diversity of exposure. And sometimes you need to force that on yourself. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes you don't like it. Just do it because your brain's going to, you're, you're going to become a type of person you don't want to be if you don't do it. So just do it. Yeah. And I think to come back to final, to, to wrap up, to come back to the very first thing, um, it's just TV. Uh, but you can learn and expect a doctor to act like a doctor and if it doesn't line up well don't get mm -hmm. mad um guns are difficult to use you definitely couldn't hit anything with one but you can learn how to you know hit a bullseye every time if you want it takes effort but whatever and a shout out to a couple law channels uh hogue law has an awesome channel on entertainment so he does a lot of stuff on uh like video game industry and that type of thing I and do uh, legal a... eagle does an awesome job of like copyright law and uh not so much criminal law but he does a lot of stuff on copyright and uh what else does he do oh uh, politics for me um with regard to specifically firearm law runkle of the bailey goes exhaustively through firearm law in Canada um, and talks about uh, just what you are and aren't allowed to do, which probably helps a lot of people um, go through the Byzantine nature that is Canadian law, uh, firearms law. If you think American firearms law is weird, well, Canadian's law is Byzantine. <laughs> And I do not use that word uh, lightly, and uh, he mostly just cites case studies and stuff, but he's got a good analysis. Surprisingly effective. Yeah. So I, I think the biggest thing for Canada, though, is that we don't have a culture of, like, the same type of culture of murder that they have in other no, countries. our firearms culture is actually very mature, surprisingly. A yeah. lot of people, you go, you go to the range and people are like, yeah, just I think that stems education from our, matters. <laughs> I think that stems from our general culture, though. We have a general yeah. culture that is less violent than other countries do, and other countries capita, have more have, instances of gun violence because of it. I think per capita we have about the same amount of firearms as the states. Definitely no, more than, not even close. Uh, not, not, like, not number, but like there's a lot of people here like it's it's not exactly a small part of our uh culture but we kind of treat it as i think it's like, like order, orders of magnitude different <laughs> there's like there's one less than one gun per person in canada and there's more like a hundred guns per person or 10 guns per person in the states i think it's a huge difference yeah not to mention the population difference but i'll have to check the numbers but i know yeah. there's a lot here a lot more than people assume 
That's a lot more than the Americans think. Mm, we hide it well. <laughs> yeah. Because we like hockey better. If you want violence, <laughs> meet me on the rink. <laughs> yeah, they do violence. football. American yeah. football. Yeah. Anyway. anyway, I think I've said my piece. I, uh, yeah. So just ask why you watch something. And yeah. And watch movies. something different if you find yourself watching a lot of the same thing. So movies aren't reality. And we'll see you guys next week on Frivolous Gravitas, where we will be talking about something. I don't think we've Mysteries. Mystery box. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. See you guys.